disasters. Why do all these things happen? Is it all just coincidence? Or is there a reason? Why do bad things happen? Well, good morning. Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We are excited that you're here. It is the first Sunday. Well, it's really the only Sunday of the fair week. And I was kind of amazed. I'm going to kind of get into that really quick here. They had 161,000 people yesterday. Uh, and I think that was like 27, 28,000 more than they had last year on the same time. So they are killing it so far, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Uh, again, I think I'm still correct that if you take the worship guide with you today, if you're going, I think they give you a couple of dollars off. They used to do that. I don't know if they've quit doing that, but that's what they used to do. So save that, uh, but fill out that tear-off that's a part of it, because again, we want your personal information and your prayer request, and you'll leave that with us, but take the rest of it. Maybe we can save you a little money. Go today after church. Don't go next Saturday night and not come to church, okay? Because a lot of people have already done that, but I'm so thankful you're here. I'm also thankful that there are lots of people joining us around the globe and across the nation uh, watching us on Facebook Live. We welcome them. Let me just say this. We're not in a series. We finished up our series last week called Five Lies, where I ask you to send me in lies that you had bought into, believed, somebody had told you along life's journey, and you listened to them. And not only did you listen to them, you believed them, and maybe you practiced that lie, and, and you made it a part of your life, only discovered that it was exactly what we just said. It was a lie. So we kind of took five weeks, and we went through some of the lies that you sent in. We actually did more than five lies. But again, the basis was five lies. And again, if you missed any of those messages, I would strongly encourage you to go to CrossroadsLebanon.com. You can hear the audio there. You can download the podcast from Apple uh, iTunes. You can download that and listen to it on your uh, phone. Nobody has an iPod anymore, do they? That's kind of old school. But anyway, whatever you listen, whatever your listening device is, you can find those messages there, or you can you know stream it directly from our website, or you can go to Facebook, scroll back down, and you'll be able to find each message each week, and you'll see the whole message, not just the sermon. You'll see the actual worship time as well, and I'll tell you that will strongly. Uh, I would strongly encourage you to do that and to, you know, take a few minutes to do it, but you can find them there. And again, go back and listen because these are what you say are impacting your life. Let me also say this. Next week is Sunny Day Sunday, which means uh, we did Hawaiian Tropic Sunday last week. We took a break this week. Next week is Sunny Day Sunday, which means uh, you're going to wear something that's you, like you would wear on a sunny day, like a hat, sunglasses, cool shirts, maybe those, hey guys, fathers, remember the socks we gave you, wear those socks. I mean, just, just kind of have fun next week because it is sunny day Sunday. So we want you to be a part of that. Again, we're not in a series, but I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I want to look at something that I have looked at before. And honestly, I think it's the way that I set up this message that honestly kind of gets people to give me lots of feedback. Because I have had more people tell me that when I kind of talk about this story and the way that I set this story up, 
that it's just like their favorite thing. It's like their favorite thing, and they wanted to hear it, and they wanted to hear it again. So when I did the message on the frogs uh, from the Exodus the other day, it kind of reminded me that, you know, several of you have asked, hey, can you kind of go back and revisit this story? And the reason I want to revisit this story is because, honestly, I love a story. I just love a story. As a matter of fact, one of my daughters has kind of got me hooked on this new, it's probably not new, but it's new to me, this series on Netflix, and let me, let, I need a little feedback if you've watched it, The Lincoln Lawyer. Anybody watched it? So good. I mean, I, I didn't want to get like into something because I don't watch much television anymore, but my daughter, Kristen, told me, said, hey, you need to watch this. I'm not a binge watcher, so I don't watch it all in one sitting like some of you do. I, I, I try to, you know, uh, I believe all things are good in moderation, you know, and so I will watch one episode. Uh, I have watched two in one night, but, uh, but again, I've, tried, I've only finished season one. So uh, I finished that yesterday, and man, God, I was just blown away at the end of season one. Because here's the thing, I love a story. Uh, I, I just love a story, and the reason I love a story is because the reason you like a story is because that's what your life is. All of life is a story. Life doesn't come to you or me with all the answers. Life doesn't come to you or to me with any guarantees. We don't know how many things are going to happen to us or what things are going to happen to us, but the life story that we live unfolds right in front of us, scene by scene just like a movie, just like a series that you would see on Netflix. Your story unfolds scene by scene, just as though it's being acted out on a stage. And really, that's what's happening. Your life is being acted out on a stage. It's being acted out on this stage, which is life's stage. I mean, think about it. Every day has a beginning. Every day has an end. And, and as you go through the day, you're going to be exposed to, to all kinds of people. You're going to be exposed to all kinds of situations. Your day might be like it is today. It might be sunny and humid and hot and sticky. Or it might be cold and wet and damp. But life unfolds in front of you like a drama, like a story. The years come and the years go. And the years of your life, they're just like flipping through a novel. They're just like flipping through the script that an actor would get if they were going to be part of a movie. And your story and your life, it can unfold and it can be full of wonder and full of joy. But as the story of your life unfolds, it can also be full of pain there can be suffering. There can be heartbreak. There's disappointment. There's going to be broken relationships. There's crime. There's victimization. There's abuse. And then for all of us, there's even death. But here's the thing. For us who follow Jesus, for us who call ourselves Christians... See, I have the benefit of reading this amazing book, this book that you and I know as the Bible. And here's the thing. When I read the Gospels, 
I have the luxury of skipping to the end of this story. And this story, just like your story, is a story that we see unfold, almost like a play. But what's different, come on somebody, is we know the ending of this story. It's like going to Netflix and looking at season three of The Lincoln Lawyer and looking at the very last episode. I don't know if they have a season three yet, but I think they're going to do a season three. See, I'm hooked, baby. I'm hooked. So with all of that being said, I want to do something today that's a little different. And this is the thing that I think that kind of kind of hooks you like a fish, like a big old big mouth bass. I mean, this, the way that I kind of set this story up is what really kind of captivates people. Because what I'm going to ask you to do is to actually shift your thinking for just a moment. And, and I want you to focus on your life. I want you to focus on our life as like this drama, as like this story, as like this play. And I want you to think about this. In, in this story that you and I, the story of life that you and I are living, there are like two stages. I mean, think about it like if you went to see something that the audience of one productions have done. I mean, they do amazing things over at the Capitol Theater. Just finished up Little Mermaid, I think I'm right. If you get an opportunity, go see them on the stage over there. But this stage, there's this lower stage. That's the stage where your life is being played out on, the drama of your life. It, it, the lower stage is really all of the things that happen on this earth. But you also have what I call the upper stage. The upper stage is, is, is where all of the activity of heaven is happening. So you have the upper stage of all the activity of heaven, and you have the lower stage, which is all the activity of earth and my life. And it's important to keep in mind that what you and I see happening in our lives on a daily basis those are the things that are happening on what I call the lower stage. We see the events. We see the circumstances of the lower stage. Because the lower stage is the place where you and I live. The lower stage is actually the place where all the details of our lives, it's the place that those details get played out. Rarely are you and I allowed to see what's happening on the upper stage of this play. Rarely do you and I get the benefit of seeing what's happening on the upper stage of this story that you and I call life. But here's something that's interesting. If we look into Scripture, there is one place that I know of that you and I get a glimpse. We get a glimpse of what is happening on the upper stage and the lower stage at the same time. And it comes from a story that we're going to look at in just a moment. And I, I just want to say this about the story that we're going to look at. There's been a lot of speculation about the story. 
that we're going to dive into in just a moment. There's been a lot of opinion expressed about the story that we're going to look at in just a moment. There's also been a lot of what I would say, even in the church, there's been a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to the story that we're looking at. Because there's a lot of people that don't understand this story. But see, that's my goal. My goal is to help you today when you leave this building or when you shut off your computer or wherever you're joining us, listening to the audio, that when you finish this time together, I just want you to walk away with a a little more insight of why this story is so important in the bigger picture of life. And honestly, what this story really means. Because the story we're going to look at is the story of a man named Job. And it's that story, the story of the life of Job, that gives us that unique opportunity to see what is happening on the upper stage and on the lower stage simultaneously. The story actually allows us to see what is happening on each of those stages at the very same time. So that's what makes the context of this story so unusual. Read with me from the Old Testament, the book of Job, chapter 1, starting at verse 6. You don't have to have your Bible, but again, I encourage you to bring your Bible when you come to Crossroad. Make notes, bring a pen, bring a flashlight. I know, I know, I know, it's dark out there. But you know what? Honestly, that's intentional. We want you to focus here. So bring a book light, do whatever you need, but join me this morning, the book of Job, chapter 1, starting at verse 6. Here's what it says. It says, one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Now look at what it says. And Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And I said, you know what? He probably came from the Wilson County Fair. You know, I mean, he probably had a corn dog in his hand. I mean, I love me a good corn dog, and, but let me tell you, if you're going to eat the corn, do it the last thing when you leave. Just guarantee me I'm not going to go any further than that. Eat the corn last thing when you leave. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered the Lord, and look at what he says, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you put a hedge around him and his household, around everything that he has, You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. In other words, he's a man of prosperity. Now, remember what I said. I set this up for you so you understand. What we just read and what we just saw in in chapter 1 of the book of Job, beginning at verse 6, that actually all is taking place on the upper stage. And and I I know it may sound kind of strange and it may be kind of confusing to some of you. But what it seems like is happening on that upper stage is like this cosmic wager. It's like Vegas between God. That's what it seems like between God and Satan. 
And in this wager, it looks like God is using Job and his family as pawns to win a bet. That's not what it is, but that's what it looks like. And the key question that is proposed is actually a question that is proposed by Satan in what we just read. When Satan himself said to God, does Job fear God for nothing? Now, why would Satan propose that question? Because Satan has a bottom line to the question that he proposed to God. See, what Satan is actually saying to God is, God, Satan, uh, uh, God, Job is devoted to you. This is what Satan is saying to God. Job's devoted to you, God, because it's in his self-interest to do that. Job is devoted and worships you, God, because it's in his self-interest to do that. He worships you because there's something in that worship for him. Satan is kind of saying to God, he scratches your back, you scratch his. You think, God, that Job loves you? He loves you like kids love the ice cream man. Job loves you like kids like Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Job loves you, God, because he has something to gain from it. Let me show you the ultimate irony about the book of Job. Here's what we think. We think about the book of Job, or we look at the book of Job, as a book in the Bible where it's God who's on trial. With all the suffering that's happening in the world, we see bad things happening to good people. And when we see bad things happening to good people, here's the question that we ask. The question that we ask is this, can there be a God who's good if all these bad things are happening? It's probably the question that I get asked more often than any other question. Randy, how can you believe in a God who you say is good when things that are bad are happening to people? And again, we look at the story of Job as, as a story where God is on trial, but that's not the truth. The reality of this story is really it's a story where the human race is on trial. And Satan, do you know what Satan means? Accuser. The human race is on trial, and Satan is the prosecuting attorney. Now, I want you to have the context of this story so that you understand. So let me summarize what we have happening in the life of Job. God allows Satan to inflict inflict Job's life with crisis after crisis. He lost all of his riches, lost all of his livestock. I mean, it goes on and on and on and on. So what it tells us, the story tells us that Job is a man not of crisis, but a man who is constantly in crisis. Because Job doesn't suffer from just one crisis, and then he's done. Job finds himself in crisis after crisis for some time. Job isn't able to move on. It just keeps getting worse. 
So here's what I do. What I want to do. I want to pick back up down in chapter one, verse twenty. Here's what it says. Look, look at look at the screen behind me. He's got all these crises going on in his life. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, look at what he says. Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, oh, come on, somebody. In all the crises, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Do you know what we have happening in what we just read? Do you know what Job is doing? Job is doing what exactly anyone would do. He's responding to the crises in his life as anyone would do if they were confident that God was with them. Job is responding to crisis after crisis after crisis as somebody who is confident that God was with him in their circumstance. Because Job understood that in the middle of his circumstance, he had one assignment. And that one assignment was to do what he was confident of doing and that confidence came that God was with him, regardless of what was going on in the circumstances around him. See, somehow, through all of the things that were happening, Job had figured it out. The question is, why in the world would he stay dedicated to God? Why would Job stay dedicated to God when it seemed like God had abandoned him? But somehow, Job understood something that I think most of us, that we miss. See, Job understood that it's not up to him to re-engineer his circumstances or to try to manipulate the circumstances or manipulate the things in his life, Job understood that he had one assignment, and that assignment, come on, was just to stay devoted to God. He was just to act in the circumstance as if he knew and was confident that God was with him. Now think about that. Because I'm going to tell you, it can be hard to be faithful to God when it seems like God isn't being faithful to you. And a hush fell over the crowd. It's hard to be faithful to God when it seems like God isn't being faithful to you. You're doing everything like you're supposed to. As much as you can, you're doing it by the book. 
So you don't see God acting in the circumstance, so what do you do? You try to take your hands and make it happen on your own if God isn't going to do his part, or you think God isn't doing what he should do, right? Because every day you have a choice. As your story is being played out on this stage, the lower stage, life's stage. You can make a decision based on your interpretation of the circumstances that you're going through. That being you look at the circumstances and they're bad and you think God doesn't care. Or you can trust in the promises of God. That he's with me, that he's with you. And you can live in the confidence that you know that regardless of what the circumstances look like, that God is with you. But see, we're begged to ask a question. Right here's the place we're begged to ask a question, and here's the question. Why would God allow someone that he loved to go through this? He hadn't done anything wrong. Job was blameless and upright. He had not done anything wrong. So it begs us again to ask a question, where is God in this? Because there's nothing redeeming about what has happened to Job up until this point. I mean, have you ever asked that question? Lost your job, lost your marriage, lost your health? And it just begs you to ask the question, where is God in this? My life's a mess. Does God even care? I mean, have you ever asked that question? My life is a mess. And you start comparing yourself to, let's, let's just say, old John over there. You look at your life and you look at John's life and you're like, I'm better than John. I'm, I'm trying to hold true to the truths of Scripture. I, 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 but, but look at John. You know, he's living. I mean, he's living. He was last night. He was at the Thirsty Turtle. Do they even have the Thirsty Turtle anymore? Cahoots. I mean, he showed up. John might have showed up to church. But, but, but I mean, you, you, you were at home last night with your family. I mean, cooking dinner, doing all the things that you were supposed to do. John, and, but, you know, you look at his life and everything that John touches seems to turn to gold. And then look at my life. And that's exactly where Job was. Job looked at his life, and you know what it seemed like? It seemed like God was asleep at the wheel. But the thing that's more interesting is that God was right in the middle oh, of everything that was happening in the life of Job. But of course, Job wondered, why are all these bad things happening to me? And see, there were times that Job screamed to God. And let me tell you, even though Job screamed and he cried out to God, he didn't even get an answer, didn't seem to get an answer. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that one of his friends came to him to try to answer the question for him, why? Why are all these bad things happening? Here's what it says in chapter 11, verse 13. 
The friend comes to him and says, if you put away the sin that is in your hand and allow no evil to dwell in your tent, then you will lift up your face without shame. You will stand firm and you will stand without fear. In other words, what his friend was saying is, Job, you need to understand, it's your sin that's causing you to suffer. It's the sin that has brought the suffering on you. And it wasn't just one friend. It was friend number two and friend number three. They all basically said the same thing in the story of Job. And see, I think it's important for us to understand that was basically the primary theology of suffering in that day. And you know what I believe right now? It's the same theology that exists in most churches even today. See, the, th- the theology is very simple. Goodness results in prosperity. Goodness results in blessing. But wickedness results in suffering. That was the, the, the theology then. And I kind of think it's still the theology in the church today. If you're good, you get blessed. If you're wicked, you suffer. So the three friends of Job come to him and say, Job, if you just repent and get right with God, everything's going to work out and you're not going to suffer. And you know how we hear that in the church today? God God promises to heal you if you have enough faith. That's the way we hear it in the church today. God will heal you if you have enough faith. Or you're you're suffering. The reason you're going through what you're going through, it's a wake-up call. And people buy into that and people believe that. And, and, and I'm like, okay, how do I communicate this to you so that you understand this? That, that that's a flawed theology. And it made me think about September the 11th, which is just in front of us in a couple of weeks. Because for those of us who were alive then, I, I can tell you where I, exactly where I was, exactly what I was doing when it came on the radio. I was on Toshiba Drive in a blue Suburban, sitting at a keypad going into my mini storage units, and I heard it on the radio. I know exactly where I was. But here's what's happened. Here's what happened that night. That night, after the attacks of September 11th, when the planes were flown into the Twin Towers, into the Pentagon, the evening of those attacks on our country, the television networks were full of Christian leaders who got on television and told us that those attacks were brought onto our country or onto our soil because of our sin. Not the sin of the terrorists, but the sin of the people of the United States of America. That God was punishing us by having terrorists crash into the World Trade Center and into the Pentagon. And here's what's interesting. Those Christian leaders who were on television, CNN, Fox, CBS, NBC, all the, all, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know what they said? They said they knew exactly which sin it was that God was punishing us for. And right there on national television, Christian leaders laid that out for everybody to see and hear. But there's something interesting about that. 
most of the sins that these Christian leaders were talking about, they just happened to be the sins that promoted their particular political agenda. In other words, the, the sins they were speaking about, they were the sins that the, the the, these Christian leaders were pushing at the time. But there's a problem with this. And the problem is that God rejects this kind of theology. God rejects this doctrine. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus actually refuted that very idea in Luke chapter 13. See, in Luke chapter 13, there was a current event that happened, and the current event that happened was there was a tower called the Tower of Siloam, and the Tower of Siloam fell, and when the Tower of Siloam fell in Jerusalem, it killed 18 people. And the people in Jerusalem and Israel were saying those 18 people died because God was punishing them. That's why the tower fell on them. But Jesus responded to that. And it's not going to be on the screen. But again, I just want you to look this up if you want to. Luke 13, chapter 13, verse 4 says, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Jesus said, I tell you, no. So what's Jesus saying? He's telling them that they've got the wrong idea. And I think that's what Job knew. Job knew there was something much deeper going on here than something he might have done wrong. But he continued to ask God, why? Why is this happening to me? Why do I find myself in crisis? And Job says, you know what? I just want, I, I want to talk to God about this. And in Job chapter 38, that's the place where Job actually gets his wish. Because God comes from the upper stage to the lower stage. And when God comes to the lower stage, he starts to ask Job a series of questions. Here, here's, what, here's what he said. He said, where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Who marked off its dimensions? Job, do you know the laws of heaven? Job, who is it that provides food for the ravens. Now what's interesting is it seems that God never gets around to asking or to answering Job's question of why. He could have done that. There's an explanation. There's a scene that happened on the upper stage. He could have done that. But God just seems to ask Job a bunch of questions that Job can't answer. And you question yourself, why does he do this? Is he tired of listening to Job? Is he tired of Job's whining? You see, here's my point, because I don't believe, Job, I don't believe that God is doing that. 
I don't think God is asking questions of Job to prove that God is smarter than Job. I mean, sure, there's a, there's a part of this that God wants to show Job that Job has a finite mind and a limited point of view, but there's more. Many scholars, biblical scholars, believe that if you look at this story, you will start to see a pattern. God's questions are indicating something more important about the kind of person he is. Look at chapter 38, verse 25. Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain? This is God talking. And a path for the thunderstorm. To water a land where no man lives. To water a desert with no one in it. See, and you, you look at that and you, you don't see the importance of there. You have to understand the importance of why this is there. Because in Israel, they were dependent on water. In Israel, life depended on water, on rainfall. In Israel, nobody would ever waste water. So why would God water a land where there is nobody? Why would God water a, a land where nobody lives there and nobody can see it? And there's an answer there. The answer is God would do that. Because God is a God who's generous. God is a God who's generous, listen, listen, for no reason at all. God is a God who's good for no reason at all. He's a God who gives for no reason at all. Remember what I said last week? You can't wait to feel generous to be generous. Our God doesn't wait to feel generous to be generous. Generosity is who He is. It's His characteristic. And this whole section is God creating and caring for and giving to and delighting in animals and things that will never do him or anybody any good. Because we have to understand the God of the upper stage is a God who is endlessly good, who is uncontrollably generous and irrationally loving. And he just gives for no reason at all. And he does that because that's his nature. See, I don't think at any time that Job really understood why things were happening to him. But I'm also not sure that Mary ever understood why she was able to mother the Son of God. And then have to watch him go through the things that he went through. But when you think about it, both Job and Mary, they discovered something better than the why. Because both of them discovered the kind of person that God is. And understanding the person that God is and truly is 
is better than understanding why. See, this whole story is summed up in Job 42, verse 5. Here's what it says. This is Job speaking to God. The whole story is summed up right here. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And you know what Job says? That's good enough. I can trust you. I can trust you with my kids. They're better off in your hands than they are in mine. God, I can trust you with my pain. My ears had heard, but now my eyes have seen. And now that I have seen, that's enough. God, I can't sit around for you to wait. So here's what Job knew. It's only when we, it's only when we trust and look for God in the circumstance that we find him. It's only when we respond to the circumstance as if we know God is there that we see him. It's only when we expect it that we experience it. So maybe we need to think about it this way. Look at the screen behind me. Maybe the question isn't, where is God in my crisis? But maybe the question is, where are you? Maybe the question isn't, where is God in what you're going through? But maybe the question is, where are you? Because you see, look look right here. Oh, Satan was dead wrong about Job. Dead wrong. Oh, Satan was dead wrong about the human race. Oh, Satan was dead wrong about life. He was dead wrong about the universe. He was dead wrong about God. Oh, Satan was dead wrong about a lot of things. And you see, the central question of this story, and maybe even your story, is can a human being hold on to faith and hope and love and still give when it doesn't seem like it's going to pay off? And one could. And one did. Even more than Job. And now I'm wondering about you. Because you see, here's the thing. When I see stories like this in the Bible, and when I hear and see stories like this in our church, the honesty and the courage and the perseverance and the tenacity of people going through a crisis, they inspire me in my own crisis. And I think it makes it a little easier for all of us Knowing the story of Job, to say, hang on. Keep going. Just don't quit. Keep going on. Don't give up. Because we know something that Job didn't know. We know something that even Mary 
wasn't clear about. We know that one day, that magnificent God of the upper stage would come to the lower stage and become one of us. And see, when he came to the lower stage, he took on all the suffering of this sorry, broken world. He took on all of Job's suffering and he took on all of Mary's suffering. And he took on all of mine and he took on all of yours. And he took on your sin. So that one day you could live on the upper stage. And all that suffering, it would be done. Some of you in this room right now, you're suffering. I know that. Some of you watching online, you're suffering. You're suffering from a lack of a job, the lack of a relationship, lack of finances, lack of good health. Why are you suffering? I don't know. How long will it last? I don't know. But does your response matter? Does what you do in the crisis that you find yourself in make any difference? Let me tell you, more than you will ever know. How you respond to what you're going through right now will make more difference than you could ever possibly dream. Because listen to me, the eyes of heaven are on your little life. And what you do and how you respond is of eternal significance to our great God. Living a life without regret, it means that no matter how bad your life might look right now, no matter what you're going through, your future is in God's hands. And by just be like Job. Be confident that God is with you because He's promised that He would never leave you nor forsake you. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me, please? God, you promised to never leave us or forsake us. In our crisis, in our struggle, in our lack, in our deteriorating health, you've made a promise through Jesus Christ to be with us. That you would make a way where there doesn't seem to be a way. It doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the way that we want or happen like we want, but the, the promise is that you would be with us. And these people in this auditorium listening and watching online, let them digest and absorb that promise and that truth. Let them hear your very voice speaking into their spirit to keep going. Don't give up. Live as someone who is confident that God was with them. Maybe today you don't have that promise that Jesus came to give you. The, the God of the upper stage came to the lower stage. 
He became one of us, died on a cross so that we could experience eternal life. Maybe today what you simply need to do is accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Allow Him to be the forgiver, the leader, the redeemer of your life. Maybe right where you're seated tonight or today, you just pray the prayer in in your spirit. It's not about the words that you pray. It's about the decision that you make. It's about saying and accepting Jesus Christ is now my Lord and Savior. And maybe where you're seated or where you're at, that you just voice that and say, in, in some way, you just say, God, today I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, the Redeemer, the Forgiver that I need. The God of the upper stage who came to the lower stage, who died on my behalf. And today you just turn from the life that you're living, the sin that's a part of your life, and live with the confidence that He's with you regardless of what you may go through. Repentance. It's about turning from the old and towards Jesus. God, we take this time to realize that this life is a story. It's being played out page by page, day by day. And may our story be a story of a person who lives with the confidence that God is with us. May we be like Job as we ask this prayer this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.